I want to continue my series entitled The Code, The Code. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his own inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work which the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the bounds of the inheritance of Timnathera in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gosh. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work which he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the people that were round about them and bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served the Baals and Asheroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them and sold them into the power of their enemies round about them so they could not any longer stand against their enemies. God, I pray today that you would speak through me clearly and profoundly. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. It was 1993 into 1994 that my wife and I were expecting our third daughter. We didn't actually know whether it was a boy or a girl because back then you didn't ask that. You just said, whatever God gives you, you get. And when they come, then you paint the room blue or pink. Uh, today, they want to know exactly what the, the gender is so that they can have it all mapped out and figured out, right? And, and um, it seemed to be a, a normal, good delivery or at least a, a good pregnancy. Um, and my wife began to get late one day, two day, three day, 15 days late. And we started to get a little concerned and I'll never forget one o'clock in the morning, July the 6th. My wife woke me up and she said, I just broke my water. Well, my wife was pretty calm, but I jumped out of bed. I didn't hit the floor, grabbed the suitcase, almost forgot her in the house. <laughs> we got to the hospital and I, cal I calmed down a little bit and um, they put her in a room and um, they were examining her and they said, okay, Mr. Malazzo, you can check your wife in now. And so I went to go and check my wife into the hospital. And when I came back, there were a bunch of doctors a lot of doctors and nurses, technicians, and my wife had an oxygen mask on her and they were working diligently to make sure that they delivered my daughter. You see, my daughter, the umbilical cord wrapped around her neck and it was choking her to death. She uh, ingested meconium and as a result of that, she was in great danger of dying. And so they called the code blue. And code blue is a hospital term for when somebody is in distress. A lot of times cardiac distress, but when a life is in distress, everyone 
joins together. Everyone hears the code and everyone responds to the code. Everybody works to make sure they save that life. And thank God, my beautiful daughter Jenna was born. Now, when the doctor asked me, what did I have at home? I said, I have two girls. He said, you have a third and I passed out. Now, I don't like blood, but I don't think it was the blood issue. I think it was the wedding issue. I think it was, I got three Italian daughters on Long Island. How in the world am I going to pay for this? Um, you know, and an interesting thing is hospitals have several different codes. They have code black for terrorism. They have code red for smoke and fire. And then they have code blue. And code blue is a special code in which they know that at that very moment, when that code goes off, everyone goes into work. Everyone goes into emergency mode. Everyone knows exactly what to do. They know exactly how to respond. They know exactly how to react. They know how to work together to make sure that they can actually save a life. Well, on July the 6th, 1994, my daughter's life was saved because of that. Uh, she was in ICU, and one of the most amazing things happened while she was in ICU, and I actually did not know how serious it actually really was until years later a nurse said, Pastor Steve, that was really a really, really critical time uh, during the ICU time because she had pneumonia, and she wasn't breathing, and she was on all kinds of stuff, on wires and tubes and all of that, and we'd go in, you know, every day we would go in and visit my daughter, I just get choked up even thinking about it. And um, we would go there and pray over her. And we had scriptures and all of that. My daughter's name actually, and don't get offended if your name is Marissa, but my, I remember going into the hospital room and saying, honey, whatever you want to name, the, you, whatever you want to name our daughter, you can name it. She goes, I like Marissa, you know? And so when she was really critical, it's like, yeah, you get whatever you want. Yeah, you get whatever you want, Marissa. You know, and when she got out of ICU and she was better, I was like, huh, let's re-talk about this for a moment. <laughs> Thus, Jenna came. <laughs> um, but uh, the most powerful thing happened during that time because I was actually preaching a, a sermon um, a series on the armor of God. And I actually had armor on the wall. I don't know if anybody remembers that, but there was a bunch of armor on the wall. And I was doing every piece of armor. And I got up to the, the armor, the shield of faith. And I was talking about having to have faith. And I remember that Sunday morning getting up and my daughter's in ICU. And I'm thinking, okay, God, I got to preach a sermon on faith right now, Lord. And Lord, I just need you to, by your grace, carry me through this, Lord. And that's what the shield of faith does. It really carries you through it. But I'll never forget that day. It was a powerful day because a woman came over to me and she said, Pastor Steve, I go to a prayer meeting in Queens and it's not a, uh, it's not a prayer meeting from Bethlehem Assembly of God. She said, but we were praying yesterday and while we were praying, the person that leads the prayer group said, you know, I just got a vision and we got to stop right now. I just saw in my mind, I'm not kidding you. This is a God honest truth. She said, he said, I, I saw a vision of a man preaching and behind them was armor and he needs our prayer right now. And she goes, that's my pastor and my pastor's daughters in ICU. They prayed and I'll never forget. Monday, we went back to the hospital. No change. But Tuesday morning, actually Tuesday evening, we went back to the hospital and we were expecting my daughter to be all, you know, again, with tubes and all of that stuff. And she had, she was not breathing well. She had pneumonia and um, I'll never forget walking
into that room and my baby was in the hands of a nurse and the nurse put that baby into our hands and said, she is fine. Don't, don't even look back. Treat her as if nothing ever happened. And I knew it was God's hand upon my daughter. I thank God for the miracle that God gave us. But I can't also negate the fact that there were some wonderful people. There were people that were trained. There were people that knew that when that code blue goes off, when there is an emergency, they knew exactly how to respond to that emergency. And I believe part of the reason why my beautiful daughter is here today was obviously the hand of God was on her life. But God used people. God used this wonderful doctor, Dr. Twist, who came into my room after she was delivered and she, he actually saw me and my wife. We were crying and we were praying and we were reading the word and he said, that's exactly what you need to be doing right now. You need to be praying and trusting God. Wow, the comfort that that brought in my life. And if you're a Christian doctor, you're a Christian professional, never negate the power that you have to influence somebody by just saying those kind, precious words when I was going through a very difficult time in my life. But it was because they actually responded in the way that they responded that I'm thankful today my daughter is healthy. And this morning, I can hear another code blue. And I want you to know today that God has issued a code blue to our society. It's not in the hospital, but it's in the church. It's not in the hospital, but it's in our family. It's in our community. It's in our schools. And it's an emergency. And if we choose not to pay attention, if we choose not to respond, if we choose not to work together, there will be casualties on our hand. I know you say, Pastor Steve, you're being dramatic, but there will be some very important people in our lives. There will be young people that will die. Their dreams will die. Their faith will die. Their understanding of God will die. Their true sense of purpose that, they, that, that God has instilled inside of them because every young person has a seed of greatness that's inside of them. But they will never see that realized in their life if we don't respond. And this morning, the Holy Spirit has issued a code blue and Jesus is saying to all of us in this room today that we need to pay attention. And we need to do something about this code blue. In fact, Joshua, before he died, he gathers all the people of Israel together and he actually issues a code blue. You see, Joshua began to see something happening. And he was discerning enough to be able to call all the people of Israel together and issue them a warning. He issued them a code blue. Because Joshua could see that there was something that was happening in the community. Joshua could see that there was something that was infiltrating in the community of faith. He was seeing that some of the elders were starting to drift away from the knowledge of God. He was hearing it amongst the young people. He was hearing it amongst the children. Something was changing. And now Joshua calls all the people together and he issues a code blue. I want to, I want to read it to you. I want to read the code blue that Joshua issues to the people of God. In Joshua chapter 24, before Judges chapter 2, Joshua calls all the people together. Notice what he says. Then Joshua assembles all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. 
And he summons the elders, the leaders, the judges, and the officials of Israel, and they, they present themselves before God. And Joshua says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshiped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him through Canaan and gave him many descendants. God chose Abraham, not because Abraham was many, not because Abraham was really even a godly man, but that Abraham, by faith, he chose to trust in a God that he heard. And the Bible says that God blessed Abraham and God established Abraham and God used Abraham to raise up a generation of godly people. And Joshua went on to say, when the people of God were in bondage in, in Egypt, God delivered them and he brought them out with a great promise and he brought them to the promised land. And verse three says, so I gave you a land in which you did not toil and cities which you did not build and you lived in it and you ate in the vineyards and and olive groves that you did not plant. Then Joshua said in Joshua chapter 14, he said, even though all of these things were given to you by grace, because I gave it to you, not because you were great in number, but because I wanted to take a people and separate them so that they can be a light to the world, a light to the nation. He said, because of all those things, he says, fear the Lord and serve him with faithfulness. Throw away your gods, he said, and your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates rivers and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day who you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors that served them, uh, the gods beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Joshua said, choose today who you will know and who you will serve. Choose today what you will teach your children and what they will know, who they will know, and who they will serve. Why? Because James said it correctly. He said, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And so Joshua says, be single-focused, be single-minded, make up your mind. Who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve yourself? Are you going to serve the world? Or are you going to serve God? But Joshua said, but for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. For me and my household, we will know God. I will teach my children and I will teach my grandchildren and they will teach their grandchildren. You see, Joshua made up his mind that he was going to serve God with all of his heart, with all of his soul, all of his mind, and he was going to pass that legacy on to his children. He said, but if you choose not to serve God, if you choose not to teach your children how to love God with all their heart, if you choose just to be religious, but really not have a relationship with God. Know this one thing, that God will have no choice but to allow your children to be destroyed by their enemy. Why? Because God loves you, but if you choose not to serve him and know him, then he has no choice but to release you into the hands of your enemy. And know this one thing, you're no match for your enemy. The only reason why you're in the promised land, the only reason why you're enjoying the fruit of the promised land is not because 
because you're stronger than them, but you've got a God that's stronger than them. Come on. But when you reject that God, then that God's got to turn you over. And I, I, it broke my heart when I read this because I think of the generation that's coming. He said, but they will be destroyed by their enemies. Your children will die in the desert. Your children will not survive spiritually. They'll not survive emotionally. Your children will not survive relationally. He said, and not only that, but they will not be able to stand against their enemies. And now we find in Judges chapter 2 the outcome of their decision. We find that they rebelled against God. And so the, the, the Bible says that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, he died. But before he died, the Bible says he issues this code blue. And every person that was close to Joshua and every elder that listened, the Bible says they died what they were blessed. But there, he said, arose another generation. There arose another generation that did not know God nor the things that God did. That tells me that somebody didn't pass it on. That tells me that somebody didn't teach their children. That tells me that there was a parent. There are many parents that didn't pass their faith on to their children. They didn't tell the stories. They didn't show their children the mighty power of God. They didn't show it and demonstrate it in their own life. And as a result of that, the Bible says that there arose another generation that didn't know God nor the power of God and they were turned over to their enemy and as a result of that they were in bondage wow they could not overcome they could not possess the land any longer they could not deal with their enemies they could not stand and as a result God releases them from his hand of blessing God releases him these people from his hand of provision he releases them from his hand the protection and the enemy overcome them make no mistake this morning friend that your children my children my grandchildren have a real enemy the bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against powers and principalities and wickedness in high places therefore stand and the only way we can stand is when we know god the only way we can stand is when we know his word the only way we can stand is when we are acquainted with the Holy Spirit living inside of us. The only way we can truly stand is when we have learned how to fight that spiritual battle. Make no mistakes, your children, when they go to school and all the things that they've got to deal with in the school system, in the community, all of that is a result of the fact that they're fighting a real spiritual battle. Every day they get up and they need to be equipped. They need to have their own armor on. You can't fight every battle for them. You've got to teach your children how to fight for themselves. Come on, somebody. And if we don't teach our children how to fight for themselves, they will not be able to stand against the bully that's coming against them. Make no mistake, but there are philosophical enemies that are fighting against your children. Philosophy is the study of the fundamental nature and knowledge and reality and existence, the truth of what it really means. What do we believe? How do we make that a part of our life? See, Philosophy is the study or the understanding of fundamental knowledge, reality and truth. Where does all this truth come from? What is absolute truth? Who's the giver of all truth and wisdom and knowledge? 
What is reality? Does God really exist? Is there an afterlife? Is there a hell? Are we really created in the image of God? Is every human being precious in the sight of God? Is a human being a human being at conception? Or do we have the right to, to kill a human life when it's in its ninth month? That's why Paul the Apostle warns the church, he warns us, don't allow the philosophies of this world to conform, conform you into the image of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The mind is a very powerful thing. The mind is the gateway even to the heart. And out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so Paul the Apostle says that the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, but they're mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. And he tells us what a stronghold is. A stronghold is a belief system. It's a thought that turns into a belief system that turns into a way of living. And the devil's not stupid. He knows that if, if he can little by little change the way people think, change the what change the way people believe little by little just just a little bit at a time is the bible really the word of god is it the inerrant infallible word of god is it all truth do we get truth from the word of god do we live by the truth of god's word little by little if he could just begin to change the channel little by little he'll wait a generation he'll wait another generation he'll wait another generation until all of a sudden we recognize that most of the young people don't have a biblical worldview. A biblical worldview is, is, is understanding. It's based on all knowledge. It's based on what we believe about absolute truth. And if that is questioned, then everything else caves in. Unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. And so your children's enemy He's wiser than you could ever imagine. And his strategy is to change their mind one decade at a time. To keep speaking into their hearts and minds. To use the media to change their minds little by little. And make no mistake, listen to me. What our children learn today. What our children experience today. What our children see today. How they live today will affect how they live tomorrow. How they deal with their enemies tomorrow will be an indication of what they learned and believe today. How they react to life tomorrow will be an indication as to what they believe today. That's why Proverbs tells us in Proverbs chapter 22, verse six, train up a child in the way they should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from the faith. You know, that word train in the Hebrew actually means to actually decisively etch into the heart of our children a path. So that path is so deep, so that path is so defined that it's going to be really hard for them to get off that path because you have etched it in their hearts so well. The Jews understand that. And that's why they, when they look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, they take it serious when it comes to educating their children in the Old Testament. Evangelist Billy Sunday once said, if you want to lick the devil, then hit him over the head with a cradle. In other words, start when they're young. Train them today so tomorrow they'll be able to stand against everything that opposes their ability to stand. Train them today so tomorrow they'll be able to stand firm. They'll be confident. They'll, be, they'll stand tall with purpose and meaning and faith and hope and conviction and honor. 
That's why Moses tells us the parents in Deuteronomy chapter six. And I believe I want you to write this down. Deuteronomy six. I want you to go home and read it. In fact, I'd love for you to read the first six chapters of Deuteronomy. It's a powerful, powerful, powerful book. But in particular, Deuteronomy chapter one, the six kind of it goes through the history of Israel and 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 Moses again gathers the people of Israel together and and he tells them something very, very important. And, And Deuteronomy chapter six, one of the most important chapters in all of the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter six, one of the most important chapters in the Old Testament. Listen to what it says. Hear, O Israel, verse four. The Lord God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Jesus said that that was the first and most important and greatest commandment. And Jesus knew everything else flowed from that commandment. What comes next in this great text are these incredible words. He said, and that which I command you to do, you shall place them upon your heart and then it shall you shall you shall teach it diligently to your children the first assignment of a parent after loving God is to store God's word in the hearts of their children notice these same two priorities to your own heart and to your children are also commanded in Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 9 take heed And keep your soul diligently. Keep your soul diligently. Lest you forget the things which your eyes have seen. And lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. A word to grandparents. And to your children's children. Deuteronomy chapter 11. You shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. And you shall teach them to your children. God's design for the preservation of historic revelation is the family. If you want to write anything down, if you want to take note of anything, God's design for historic preservation of revelation comes through the family. It starts with the father and the mother. It's passed on to the children and it's passed on to their children. Within the Christian community, the main link between generation is the parent passing it on to their children so that they can pass it on to their children. Joel chapter one, verse three, it puts it in a nugget. Listen to what he says. Tell your children of it and let your children tell their children and their children to another generation and beyond. So I want to tell you today without trying to be very theatrical, the truth is we have a code blue. The truth of the matter is there is a record number of young people that are leaving the church when they go to college. 90% of children who grow up in church, when they go off to college, they walk away from their faith, some temporarily. Many of them will never come back to their faith again. And that should not be. It's not, it's not because the professors in our secular colleges are smarter than the Bible. It's not even that they know what they're talking about. I'm telling you the truth because I've been in a secular college. And when I went to secular college, no one was going to change my mind. Nobody. 
You might say, well, because you were closed-minded. No, no, no. Because I knew apologetics. I knew how to defend my faith. I knew what was logical. I knew what was reasonable. I knew what was biblical. And I understood that some of these things that the professors were saying were, were, were inaccurate. They were not correct. And they were biased. And when they said it, I knew how to defend myself. And that's what we need today. We need parents that know how to teach their children how to defend what they believe. Because it's rational. It's realistic. It's good, it's solid, and it's strong. And we need to be able to teach our children how to do that to defend their faith. But the truth is so many parents are lacking in their own ability to know the word of God, in their own ability to defend their faith that they can't even pass it on to their children. And so when their kids are going to college, they're walking away from the Lord. They're confused. You know, I want you to know there's a lot of voices that are speaking to our children. In fact, I get the privilege every year to preach the last chapel service in our school. And this year I talked about the many voices that, that they're going to hear when they leave the school, when they graduate and they go off to college. Let me tell you something. God's voice is reasonable. God's voice makes sense. It's reasonable to believe that there is a God who created the heavens and the earth. There's a master designer who created it all. It's reasonable to believe that, that God created male and female so that they can, they can reproduce and they can be fruitful and multiply. It just makes sense. Listen to me. If you think about it, it actually makes sense. And what we're hearing today does not make sense. But you see what's right becomes wrong and what's wrong becomes right because one generation after the other begins to take an, and, and actually ingest a lie and a little lie and a little lie. And now they are turned over to a reprobate mind where they cannot even reason. And so now there is a spirit of delusion and it just doesn't make sense. It absolutely does not make sense. But we have ingested it. But we're living it out now. Why? Because we believed a lie so long that a lie now sounds good and reasonable. So, so how can we change the code blue to code blessing for our children? Well, this morning, just for a few moments, I want to give you three ways as parents and the community of faith, I want to give you three ways that we can save the next generation. Because I'm telling you, we have a serious situation on our hands and if we don't take our head out of the sand and see what we're really up against in a couple of generations, we're not going to see faith alive in America. Listen to me. I, I visited, I go travel around the world and I've been in Europe. And if there's one thing that just breaks my heart about Europe is Europe was a place where we received the Reformation. Europe was the place where we got the Bible. Europe was the place where Men of God stood up and said, no, this is false. This is right. We saw incredible revivals that came from Europe. And today you walk around in Europe and there's so many atheists. You walk in churches, you walk in big cathedrals and nobody's in those cathedrals. Nobody's going to church. Why? Because somebody said it'll never happen there. And they didn't do anything about it. Let me tell you, you could tell yourself that it can't happen in America. But friends, it is already happening. And we can deny it. We could, we could just pretend as if there's no emergency with our young people. There's no emergency with our children. We can pretend there's no code blue. But a generation's going to die if we don't do anything about it. 
And so this morning, I want to give you three simple ways that we can save the next generation. Number one, I want you to write this down. I want you to write it down. And if you're going to forget it, take out whatever you have, write it on your forehead so that when you wake up in the morning, you won't forget it. It starts with me. You need to convince yourself. You need to be deeply convinced. It starts with you. It doesn't start with someone else. It doesn't start with your kids. It doesn't start with your grandchildren. I know they have their free will, but the truth is mom and dad, it starts with you. Young person in this room, it starts with you. Listen to me, parents. Listen to me, grandparents. Listen to me, mom and dad. It always starts with us. Notice what Joshua tells the people of Israel in Joshua chapter 24, verse 14. Choose today who you will serve. Make a choice. Decide who is God in your life. Stop being double-minded. See, the Bible tells us a double-minded person is unstable in all their ways. So we've got to be single-focused. We've got to be single-minded. We as parents, we as parents and grandparents, we've got to make up our mind who is God in our life. We've got to make our mind up. What is truth in our life? What are we going to embrace in our own personal life? How are we going to live our life? Because it begins with us. So we make a choice. And when we fail, when we make a mistake, when we sin, when there's a season of rebellion in our life, we pick ourselves back up. We come to the foot of the cross. We receive the grace and mercy of God. And we get back up forgetting what is behind. And we press on. Come on, somebody. And God will even restore to you if you choose to serve the Lord today with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. See, we've got to decide who's God in our life. We've got to decide who comes first in our life. We've got to decide what we're going to do and what we're not going to do. We've got to decide who we're going to serve. Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve money and God at the same time. You can't serve yourself and God at the same time. Why? Because parents you're the absolute key to your children's health in their lives. You're the key to your kids' spiritual, mental, and emotional health. You know, today I can take you to death row. Today I can take you to a place where people have killed other people and they're on death row. And they will tell you, 90% of those men will tell you, 90% of those women will tell you they despise, they hate their fathers. Because either the father was absent or they were abusive. So what is that telling us? It tells us that it's easier to build a strong child than to repair a broken man. Make no mistake. What you choose today will affect your kids tomorrow. That's why I'm challenging every man in this room. Let me throw out a, a commercial for a moment. I'm challenging you to come with me next week, next Saturday, all day, 8 to 4, to boot camp, spiritual boot camp. And let's just hear the word together. Let's get on our face before God together. Let's say, God, I don't know how to do this, God, but I got a, a, a couple of hundred other men together and we're going to pray together. And we're going to learn and we're going we're to learn how to be godly men. We're going to learn how to live out the code. God, family, church, community. We're going to live out that code, man. I, I thank God that I saw some brothers today. They walked in and they had their, their code on. There it is. There's a brother. Stand up right there. Look at it. There's a brother with a code on. He's got his code on, man. To remind him, I was at a diner the other day and I saw a brother and he walked in with his coat on. I thought, wow, that's awesome, man. 
I'm too vain to put that coat on. I'm just being honest. But I got it with me. I got it in my car. I got, I got it with me in my office. That's it. I saw Smiley there. He's the brother right here. Come on, stand up. There's the brother in the dine. I got his coat on. I love it, man. His coat on. Dude, dude, he's got his coat. How many of you got your coat on? If you, if you got, let me stand up if you got your coat on. Let me see if you got your coat on. All right, give these brothers a, a big hand for having their coat on. I love it. They got the coat on, man. I love it. I love it. I'm convicted. I'm going to put it on between service. Wow, awesome. But I, I'm going to encourage you after the service, go and sign up in the back, man. Go and sign up so that we can all go together. I'm going to go and I'm bringing a bunch of young men with me. I, I'm actually, we're actually bringing a van load of young men with us because I, I want every young man to know that they're precious and I want to pour into their life. So you got a young man. Let me tell you, I'm going to tell you right now, if you're a single mom in this room and you got a young man and you want them to go to boot camp, I will pay for them to go to boot camp. You see me after the service or you see somebody after service because I'm going to be going to the other service. We will make it happen for you. What you choose today will affect your kids tomorrow. A well-known story, an illustration of this was a, a father who was a, a lawyer. He was a very successful lawyer, but he made a practice of going to the bar before he went to work every day. And so he left work one day and it was a cold day. It was a snowy day and, and he made his way to the bar and he turns around and he sees his little kid is in the bar with him. His little kid is in the bar and he thought, son, how is it that you got, what, what are, you, are you crazy? What are you doing here? He said, dad, I just followed the footsteps. I followed your footsteps in the snow and I knew where you were. You were in the bar. He got on his face before God. He repented of his sin and got right with God because he recognized that metaphorically that was his son following in his footsteps to become an alcoholic. That's why Moses told the people of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind and all your strength. He didn't say put your kids in Sunday school and let somebody else do it. And we're going to talk about that in a few moments, how important that is. But it starts first with parents. In other words, Moses said the key to teaching your kids about God, the key to passing on your faith, the key for your kids to see Jesus is you living it out in your own life. It's, it's, it's called the law of buy-in. I love John Maxwell and I read a lot of his books, leadership books. And John Maxwell in his book, The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, gives this law, the 13th law, the 13th law I believe it is, is the law of buy-in. That no one will believe what you say until they see you living it out first. And they will never buy into your vision. They will never buy into what you believe is truth until they buy into you. So you've got to convince them that you believe in what you are listening to and saying is important. And that's why you need to allow your children to catch you in the very act of loving God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Your kids ought to catch you in the act of loving God. They should catch you in the act, not just of religious observances, but on a daily basis, they should say, my father, my mother, these are people that live out their faith, not just in church, but they live it out on a daily basis. They catch you loving God with all your heart. Moses said, this is the key of transferring knowledge and understanding of God into your children. Love the Lord, your God. Step one, love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Notice the second thing he says. Then he says, teach it to your children. We're going to talk about that. But number two, before we get there, 
I want you to know the second thing as parents that we need to be convinced of, deeply convinced about, is that we are the keeper of our children's souls. Now you might say, but every child stands before God themselves, they have a free will. But the truth is when you dedicate your children to the Lord, what you're actually saying is I'm the keeper. In other words, I'm the watchman. I'm the watchman. That's a better word. I'm the watchman of their soul. That there is a period of their life where their minds are being shaped, their hearts are being shaped, and we are to be the watchmen of their soul. Dr. Ryrie, a great theologian, once said, we as parents must be the watchmen of our children's souls. Let me tell you something. When I read that this week, it rocked me. It shook me to recognize that my job, my responsibility is to be the watchman of my children and my grandchildren of their soul. You see, there's a lot of dads, there's a lot of moms that they're, you're deeply concerned. I know you're deeply concerned about your children and you want them, you absolutely want them to do well in life. We want our children to do well in school. We want our children to do well in business. We, we want them to be successful in business. We want them to be successful in their marriages, in their relationships. We want our children to succeed socially. We want our children to be uh, able to provide for themselves physically. And the truth is most parents spend more time helping their children with all of these things, but they neglect their soul. And listen to me, look at me. What does it profit your child if he gains the whole world, but he loses his soul? What does it profit your daughter if she gains the whole world, if she has degrees, if she has money, if she has prosperity, if she has fame in the world? What does it profit our children if they gain the whole world? but they forfeit their soul because there's coming a day when God Almighty will ask our children. He's not going to ask them how many degrees they have. He's not going to ask them how much money they have. He's not going to ask them how much popularity and fame they have in the world. He's going to ask them one question. Did you know me? Did you love me? Did you serve me? Did you accept me as your Savior and your Lord? That's the only way into heaven, friend. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he loses his soul? And let me tell you, there's some fathers in this room. You're working hard. You're working hard to make sure that your children have what you didn't have. But you think the most important thing that your children can have is more money because you didn't have it. So you want them to be a lawyer. You want them to be a doctor. And you're spending all your time in that. But you're not spending time being a watchman of their soul. You're not spending time praying for them. You're not spending spending time sharing the word with them. You're not spending time modeling for them what it means to be a man or a woman of God. Friend, I'm going to say it one more time. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? What does it profit a child if they gain the whole world, but they forfeit their soul? Notice what Moses tells the people. Deuteronomy chapter 6. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the fathers, the patriarchs, the ones that would pass it on to give you a land large, flourishing with cities that you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things that you did not provide, and wells that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat of all these things and are satisfied, be careful. Be careful 
that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. I know preachers often say that there'll be no weeping in heaven. I know preachers say when we get to heaven, they'll be dancing and rejoicing for eternity. But I beg to differ. I believe that in heaven there will be some parents who will be weeping because they neglected to take care and be a watchman of their children's souls. You know, when my, um, when my daughters were little, my wife and I, we made a decision. We made a decision that their souls were more important than anything else. We made a decision that more than anything else, we wanted them to serve God. That, yeah, I want them to be financially successful, but we wanted them to serve God. And we had to make some hard decisions. And I remember when we started the school here at Bethlehem Assembly of God, Valley Stream Christian Academy. It was a small school, 23 students, I think they were, when we first began. It was one little room. And I remember that there were some people that I knew that said, hey, I could never send my kid there because they don't have a great sports program. Or I would never send my kid to that school because they don't have a great academic program. I'm going to send my kid to the really finest academic schools that I can find because I want them to succeed. I want them to, I want them to go to school on scholarships. But my wife and I, we had to make that tough decision. We said, no, what's more important? And for us, what was so vitally important for us, and hey, listen, you can do whatever you want. You can believe whatever you want. But this pastor is going to tell you that I, I made a commitment that I'd never send my child to a public school. Never. Now, again, this is going to ruffle some feathers and some people are going to be upset at me. And if you're a teacher in a public school and you're a Christian, you stay right there because you can't bring light into a place that's dark unless you're there. And I get it. You say, well, you know, your kids should do the same thing. No, no, no. My kids are sheep. My kids are little. And what I want for my kids is I want my kids seven to eight hours a day to be influenced by people who love them, who are godly, who speak into their life. And I'm not going to give any way, no leeway to, to godless people who are trying to change the mind of my children by telling them things that are not true. And so I, I wanted to protect them. I'm just going to be honest with you because I, I believed that they were sheep and they needed to be protected for a season. When they were older, they went to a secular college. They were ready. They, when they sat in that classroom, it actually wasn't a secular college. It was actually, I'm just going to be honest with you, it was a Catholic college who had professors who taught against the Bible. I'm just being honest. But when they came home, we'd have conversation and my daughters would say, Dad, Dad, what that person said was so unbiblical, so off. You know why? Because for 18 years, we invested in making sure that they were surrounded by godly people. And the reason for that, more than anything else, is because when I get to heaven, God's not going to ask me, did I make it possible for my child to be a doctor or a lawyer or a successful businessman? I'm going to be asked one question. Did you make sure that your children learn the word of God. Now I understand that's my job primarily to do that. I get that. But you know the truth is it takes a community. It takes a community of people to raise one child. And I'm so thankful. I'm just going to tell you right now. I am so thankful for Valley Stream Christian Academy. 
And I'm so thankful for, for Pastor Leslie Fowley, who's here. Would you stand for a minute? Just stand for a minute. This is the superintendent of our school. Thank you. Thank you. And, and this week on Friday, we get a, a chance again. And every time I come to the graduation, I'm blown away by what God has done to be faithful to help us to have a Christian school here. And, and let me tell you, parents, if it's not too late to sign your kids up to this wonderful Christian school that's frankly Christian, that's run by teachers, that's run by leaders, that's got a superintendent that's passionate about God, that loves kids. I love it. I'm so blessed to have this kind of school here. And you might say, well, I can't afford it. Well, cut out whatever you have to do because we've got a lot of parents who can't afford it, but one way or the other, they make it happen because that's their priority. So I know that I ticked off a lot of people, but you go to prayer about it. <laughs> Don't write me a letter. I'm not going to read it. Because it does take a community. But I want you to notice as I close that the worship team comes, I want you to notice then what Moses says, listen to me. He says, love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Understand you're a keeper. You're a watchman of your child's soul. Yeah, they're going to give an account in eternity for their own soul, but for the time being, you're a steward of their soul. But notice what he says thirdly. He says, you must systematically, systematically teach them God's eternal, unchanging, wonderful, powerful, life-changing word. I want you to see what it says. Verse 6. These commandments, these principles, the word of God that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Then you are to impress them to your children. And you are to talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. In other words, you are to systematically teach your children God's word, not haphazardly, but systematically. You are to tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads and write them on the door frames of your homes and on your gates. They are to be on your hearts and you are to hide them in your child's heart. You are to impress. In the Hebrew, the word is impress. And the word impress in Hebrew means to sharpen. It means to be incisive. It means to make an incision deep into the hearts of your children. It's not something that's done lightly. It, it has this understanding that we are to take the word of God and teach our children the word of God with proficiency and diligence because we believe it's the most important thing that they will ever learn in their life. It's not done lightly. It's not done haphazardly. It's not done seldomly without seriousness. It's done with complete diligence and provision and, and, and precision. Moses gives us the way. He tells us, do it at home and then do it in the community. Because, he says, because you want to get your kids to say what David said. Your word, oh God, is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. Your word keeps me on the path of purity as I hide it in my heart. And I live according to your word and the grass withers and the flowers fail, but the word of God endures forever. And, and for God, his ways are perfect and the Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. The unfolding of your words give light and it gives understanding. It gives understanding. It gives understanding to the simple, to the young. So if you have a Bible today, whether it's on your 
iPhone or your iPad or you literally have a Bible, pick up your Bible. Hold it up right now. Hold it up right now. Would you hold it up? Hold up your Bible right now. You see, because the most important book your children will ever know and read is the Bible. It will give them the answers to life. It will give them the keys to eternity. It will give them the ability to know what is right and wrong. It will save their souls. It will guide their lives. It'll keep them from danger. It'll comfort them in sorrow. It'll convict them of their sin. It'll give them strength to keep going on. It'll give them the keys to power and the keys to true prosperity. It'll keep them having hope in the dark times and it will give them truth that will set them free and it will speak to them every season of their lives as it sustains them in every trial of their soul. There was a book that was written short, uh, a short time ago and it was called Nothing Less, Engaging Kids in a Lifetime of Faith. And, and in this book, the authors reveal to parents how is it that, that kids, Christians, maintain their Christianity all through their life. And they discovered that kids who maintain their Christianity through life are kids that read the Bible when they were young. Kids that were taught how to pray when they were young. Kids that were brought to church and Sunday school. And they were educated, not only at home, but also in the community. So as we close today, I want to tell you that I have made a deep commitment in the last several years I have seen what shallow Christianity has done to the church. I want to tell you, I have seen what seeker-sensitive, seeker-friendly, I've seen what churches who are more interested in filling the pews and not offending anyone, keeping it light. I've seen what small groups that get people together just to talk about the weather has done to church and Christianity and to a generation of people that don't know the word, that don't know how to defend their faith, that don't know how to stand. And I, I even repent before you as your pastor to tell you that that's not where we need to go and that's not where I need to be. And, and if I've embraced any of that over the past, that's of the past, forgetting what is behind. I'm telling you something. I'm going to give the rest of my life to making sure that people are educated in the word. I'm going to give the rest of my life to making sure that people know their purpose and their reason for existing and training them up to be strong, to be able to defend their faith, but not only defend their faith, but to share their faith. Because the church is not supposed to be on the defense. The church is supposed to be on the offense. And we need to raise up a generation of people that know the word. So I'm going to challenge you. It starts with you. Get into small groups. Get into our small groups. We're going to start eight weeks of being able to discuss the word. And then September, we're going right back into Grow University, where we systematically teach the word. In fact, I'm going to tell you, I'm so excited about this. Grow University, we're actually, we've got one year of classes. I'm going to develop, with the help of my staff, we're going to develop four levels of education. So that when people walk out of Bethlehem Assembly of God sometime in their life, they're going to say, man, I felt like I was in Bible school. I learned the word. Because the only thing that's going to matter ultimately, heaven and earth is going to pass away. 
and all our seeker-friendly churches are going to pass away. And perhaps many of the services that you came to, you're going to forget, but God's word will never pass away. Hallelujah. So my job is to hide it in your heart. Yep. And so we're, we're doing a great job working through Grow University, but, but there's an area, there's a group of people in our church that are being neglected. And it's got to stop today. And that's the children of our church. And we've got to do something to help the children of our church. Yes, it starts at home. But we've got to come alongside of the parents. We've got to come alongside of you. We've got to come alongside of all of us because we've got a code blue. And all of us got to stop and listen to that code and run into the emergency room. And we've got to know how to react, how to respond, and how to work together as a team in unity to make sure that we don't lose a generation. And it's really sad when I hear stories about what's happening over at the children's church that there's three or four workers and there's not enough Sunday school teachers and they have to cancel classes and they have to combine classes and there's, there's 30 kids in one classroom, a small classroom, because a, a teacher didn't take their job serious enough and show up to church and do what they were called to do. Because we don't realize that those kids are precious to us. I mean, we love them, but we're not realizing how precious their souls are and that we are the watchmen of their souls. So I'm going to challenge you today Here's what I'm going to do. We need 22 Sunday school teachers. You say, but I'm so busy. No, you're not. Not for this. So here's what we're going to challenge you to do. Serve in one, sit in one. Serve in one, sit in one. So just take a little more time and serve in one children's church. Serve in one Sunday school class and then come to church and sit and listen to the word of God. You can't do one or the other. You got to do both. Because you got to be fed so that you can feed. You got to be fed so that you can feed. And we need 22 Sunday school teachers for our children's program, for our new and improved. We're taking it to a whole new level. I, I've been sitting with some really sharp people and we've been praying and we know there's a problem, but we're going to solve this problem together. I can't do it without you. I can't do it with people who say, listen, I'm just coming to church once a week. Most of you in this room that have been in this church for a long time, you could teach Sunday school. You could teach the word. You should be able to by now. The Bible says you should be a teacher by now. And so it's not just about learning. It's about giving. But here's the beautiful thing. Isn't this true, Jay Farkas? Here's the beautiful thing. When you study the word for yourself to give it to somebody else, you grow. Hallelujah. You see, the reason why you're not growing is because you're not giving it out to anybody else. But when you, when you take it in and you give it out, you grow again. Hallelujah. More blessed to give than to receive. So I'm going to challenge you in this room. Next week, June the 30th at 2.15, if you believe that children are important, you'll show up. In fact, we're going to have lunch at 2.15. You know why? Because if I give you food, you'll show up. But we're going to have an orientation and I'm going to share my vision for a renewed, powerful Sunday school program for our children. And I need you to come alongside of me. I need 22 teachers and teacher's assistants. We need about another 15 to 20 people that are just going to say, hey, I'm going to show up. I don't know how to do this, but I'm willing to be trained. I'm willing to come to the first service and serve in the second. I'm willing to, to sit in the first and serve in the second. I'm willing to sit in the second and serve in the third, whatever. 
But we're going to do this together. We're going to raise up a generation of young people that know the Word of God. And it's going to take work. It's going to get, take commitment. It's not going to be easy. But what's the choice? Because let me tell you something. If we don't raise up a generation when you're old, they ain't going to take care of you. They're not going to love you and honor you. So what goes around comes around. So let's make sure we do it right. There are a lot of people in this room. You're ready to go. You're ready to teach. Do it for the glory of God. Do it. And you'll see God do some great things in your life. So here's what I need you to do. I believe on the app, Sybil, it's on the app, right? They can go and sign up right on the app, right? So you can go to Bethlehem app. Now, if you're like, I, I don't know how to do that. I just, I, I don't know how to do any of that. Just take out a card. Just take, I don't care. Take anything from, I don't care what it is. Take out something from your pocketbook. You don't have a pen. Take your lipstick and write it down. I don't care. But just, if you don't know how to get on the app, just write something down. Say, I will be at the orientation and, and hand that somebody will be in the back. Sybil will be in the back table and she'll just, she'll just take your, your cards if you don't know how to go on the app. But I'm believing next week at 2.15 there's going to be a load filled with people in that room saying, I don't know if I can even do it, but I'm willing to listen and see how God can use me to help the children. All right. I want you all to stand to your feet. I've gone on a, a long time today and I'm not apologizing. You don't like it? Go somewhere else where they'll give you water and see where your soul will go. How many of you in this room, including myself, as I look back at my life, I'm just going to be honest with you. I think sometimes I was so busy being a pastor that there were times that I neglected my first priority. But I'm not going to do that again with my grandchildren. I'm going to make sure that we all do it together. How many of you as a parent, you say, I know that God wants me to make him first. I need to make him first in my life. If I make him first, everything else will follow. I know that I need to see my children as my responsibility to be the watchman of their soul. I don't even care if they're 50 years old. Yeah, it changed but it doesn't mean that you're not supposed to pray for your children and intercede for your children and do whatever it takes to see them back in the kingdom. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his soul? Lord, I want to be a watchman. Raise your hand. I want to be a watchman, Lord. Lord, help me to be a watchman over their souls. And Lord, help me to teach them by my example and by my discipline. Help me to teach my children and my grandchildren how to love you, Lord. And help us to rescue the next generation. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. God bless you. Don't forget, God has a plan for your life, and it's big.